Welcome, friends, to another episode of Footsteps of the Messiah. This week, we're going to be looking at the parasha, the haftarah of parashat, I apologize, lech lecha, lech lecha. So uh, thank you for tuning in, and we will get started without further ado. Baruch asok God, King of the universe, who charges us with his commandments and commands us regarding engagement and Torah study. So thank you for being here, and let's get started. So I'm going to be reading from an article uh, off of Chabad.org about the Haftarah. Uh, it's called Powerful Mouths. Powerful Mouths. For the Haftarah of Lech Lecha, the Haftarah for Lech Lecha extols the virtues of the Jewish people of Israel. The children of Abraham, in contrast to other nations of the world, it encourages us to stay us to stay strong during the exile. That we should not be afraid because God is always with us, and He can be relied upon. Ultimately, it is us, the Jewish, the people of Israel, who put our hope in God, who will be strengthened and redeemed, while the unrighteous nations will face divine judgment for not recognizing Him, despite all the clear indications that He is the one and only true God for all the suffering they put us through. Now, let me back up. I got a little bit ahead of myself. So uh, if you've never tuned in for one of the Haftarah podcasts before, then let me explain. Haftarah is Hebrew for additional. So the Haftarah is the additional portion from the prophets that is read every Shabbat after the Torah is read. And it is read by one reader all in one sitting or one one uh reading and this week that the haftarah matches and we'll, we'll go over some similarities with the regular torah portion uh this week the portion from the prophets is from isaiah 40 verse 27 through isaiah 41 16 so i'm going to go back to that article in a second but i kind of got ahead of myself so the uh torah reading lech lecha uh, is actually going to be, give me just a second, from Genesis. And that was Genesis 12, 1 through 17, 27. Now, at the time this is going to be published, Lechacha will already have passed and will be in the following week's parasha. But be that as it may. If you're listening, then Lechecha is the Torah portion that we are uh, going to be working on today. And just the Haftarah. We're not going to get into the Torah portion itself. Just the Haftarah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to read the summary first and I'm going to go back to that article because that article assumes that you know a little bit about the Haftarah. So Lechecha Haftarah in a nutshell. I love how Chabad does these articles in a nutshell. So it encapsulates what the Haftarah is saying. They also do it for the weekly parasha. And it just gives you a summary, kind of line by line, paragraph by paragraph into general ideas. So the Haftarah for this week discusses Abraham's journey to the land of Canaan at God's behest and touches upon Abraham's miraculous battle against the four kings, both of which are described in this week's Torah reading. The prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, addresses Israel's complaint. My way of serving God has been ignored by the Lord, and from my God, my judgment passes unrewarded. Isaiah reminds Israel of the Creator's greatness. This, the time will come when he will give the tired strength, and to him who has no strength, he will increase strength. Youths shall become tired and weary, 
This is a very famous uh, verse, by the way, verse 31. Young people or youth shall, youth shall become tired and weary, and young men shall stumble. But those who put their hope in the Lord shall renew their vigor. They shall raise wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk and not tire. Nevertheless, quote, there is no comprehension of his wisdom. And as such, at times, we cannot understand why he chooses to delay the reward of the righteous. The Haftarah then turns its attention to the idolatrous nations of the world. Isaiah reminds them of Abraham's greatness, how after arriving in Canaan, he pursued and defeated four mighty kings. The islands saw and feared the ends of the earth quaked. Nevertheless, the nations who witnessed these, witnessed these miracles did not abandon their ways. Their idol craftsmen, I-D-O-L, the craftsmen who made idols, strengthen the smith, the one who smooths the idol with the hammer, strengthen the one who wields the sledgehammer, the one who glues its coating, says it is good, and he strengthens it with nails that it should not move. God promises the Jewish nation to reward them, the nation of Israel to reward them with their loyalty to God. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not discouraged, for I am your God. Behold, all those incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. Those who quarreled with you shall be as nothing and be lost. All right, so that's Haftarah in a nutshell, Lech Lecha. By the way, Lech Lecha, if you're not aware, means walk to yourself. Go find yourself. And it could also mean walk for yourself. So go find the authentic, true, most genuine version of who God, who Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to be. Okay, so let's take a look at the Haftarah itself. So uh, the, let's see, you know, this isn't that long. So I'll just go ahead and, and read it here from Isaiah 40. Why should you say, O Yaakov, and speak, O Israel? My way has been hidden from the Lord and from my God. My judgment passes. Do you not know if you have not heard an everlasting God is the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He neither tires nor wearies. Nor, there is no fathoming his understanding. He gives the tired strength, and to him who has no strength, he increases strength. Now, youths may become, shall become tired and weary, and young men, shall, young men shall stumble. But those who put their hope in the Lord shall renew their vigor. They shall raise wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary, and they shall... Sorry, I lost my place. They shall run and... Not weary, they shall walk and not tire. Okay, so that's the part from chapter 40. So let me take a look at the Rashi commentary. So Rashi says, why should you say the phrase? Why should you say about that? He says, my people, they're the people of Yaakov and, and speak in exile. My way has been hidden from the Lord. Rashi says, he hid from before his eyes all that we served him and gave those who did not know him dominion over us. And then the quote, from my God, my judgment passes. Hashem ignores the judgment of the good reward. He should have paid our forefathers and us. 28, the creator of the ends of the earth. There is no fathoming his understanding. Rashi says, one who, and one who has such strength and such wisdom, he knows the thoughts. Why does he delay your benefit? Only to terminate the transgression and to expiate the sin through afflictions. Verse 29, who gives the tired strength and who will eventually renew strength for your tiredness. Verse 30, now youth shall become tired. The Hebrew is na'alim, 
The might of your enemies who are devoid of commandments shall become faint. And young men shall stumble, Rashi says, those who are now mighty and strong shall stumble, but you who put your hope in the Lord shall gain new strength and power. And then the word wings, he just comments, the word Hebrew, evel, aleph, vet, resh, is a word for wing. And chapter 41, verse 1. Be silent to me, you islands and kingdoms shall renew their strength. They shall approach, then they shall speak. Together judgment, together to judgment, let us draw near. So he refers, Rashi says, the islands are the heathen nations. And they shall renew their strength. They shall adorn themselves and strengthen themselves with all their might. Perhaps they will succeed in their judgment by force. And when it says they shall approach, Rashi says here, and then when they approach, they shall speak. And verse 2, who aroused from the east, the one whom righteousness accompanied, he placed nations before him and over kings he gave him dominion. He made his sword like dust, his bow, his bow like wind-blown stubble. So Rashi says, who aroused from the east, one whom righteousness accompanied, who aroused Abraham to bring him from Aram, which is in the east, and the righteousness that he would perform that was opposite his feet wherever he went. Now, I also think this is a prophecy of Yeshua in his return as the Messiah, because it says he'll come from the east um, in Isaiah 65, I believe, possibly Isaiah 60. Uh, okay, so... Uh, the scripture says he placed nations before him. Uh, Rashi says he who aroused him to leave his place to cause him to move. He placed before him four kings and their host. And we'll see that in the Torah portion, Lechicha, the Torah portion from Genesis. And it says he gave him dominion. He made his sword like dust. Yonatan paraphrases, who I believe was the author of Targum Yonatan. He cast slain ones before his sword like dust. He suffered his sword to take its toll of casualties as numerous as grains of dust, and his bow he suffered to take its toll of casualties who would fall like wind-blown stubble. All right, verse 3. He pursued them and passed on safely on a path upon which he had not come with his feet. He pursued them and passed on safely. Rashi says he traversed all his fords safe, safely like rivers. He did not stumble when he pursued them, and the path upon which he had not arrived with his feet a road upon which he had not previously come with his feet the future tense yavo means that he was not accustomed to come there who worked and did who calls his generations from the beginning i the lord am first and with the last ones i am he now this verse four is really important because this is i believe what yeshua is quoting when we get to revelation and he says i am the first i am the last i'm the alpha and the omega so in Hebrew, this is what it would have originally been. So, Mifa Alva Asa Kore Hadrot Merosh Ani Adonai Rishon Ve'et Ha Achronim Ani Hu. So, I am the first, I, I, the Lord, am first, and with the last ones, I am He. So, it's, it's a little bit different in the Hebrew. Uh, there is a place where he says in the in the prayer book, actually, and I believe this might be what it's quoting. I'm not certain, but there uh, is in the prayer book a place where it does say, I am the first and the last. And it's God talking um, to Israel 
that it's uh, said at, at Shabbat. So I'll have to find that and share it another time. So uh, Rashi's commentary says, who worked and did for him all this? He who called the generations from the, from the beginning to Adam, he did this also for Abraham to perform wonders and to aid. Also with you, the last sons, I will be and I will aid you. So that's all Rashi commentary on verse four. So verse five, the island shall see and fear the ends of the earth shall quake. They have approached and come. Rashi says the islands will see, literally they saw, the heathens shall see the mighty deeds that I will perform and they shall fear. They have approached and come one to another. The nations will gather to war when they see the redemption. This is prophecy of what's going to happen in the Acherit Hayamim, in the end times. All right, so verse 6, and this I believe would be either approaching or already after the birth pangs of the Messiah, the tribulation period has begun. Verse 6. Each one shall aid his fellow, and to his brother he shall say, strengthen yourself. So Rashi says, he shall say, strengthen yourself for war. Perhaps their gods will protect them, stand up for them. Verse 7, and the craftsman strengthen the smith, the one who smooths with the hammer, the one who wields the sledgehammer. He says of the cement, it is good, and he strengthens it with nails that it should not move. Now Rashi has quite a bit to say about these verses. He says, the craftsman is the one who molds the idol. The smith plates it with gold. The one who smooths with the hammer, that's the final stage when he taps lightly to flatten out the work. The one who wields the sledgehammer is the one who commences on it when it is a block and beats it with all his might. And the one who said it's good of the cement, he alludes to those who seek suitable ground upon which to adhere iron plates. So devek is the word. Dalit, vet, kuf, or kof. And he says in French, the translation is to weld. And the one who strengthens it is the idol, or the it is the idol, with nails that it should not move. All of them will strengthen each other. So basically, all these idol makers are working together to make something that is dead and cannot do anything. So Verse 8, but you, Israel, my servant, Yaakov, Yaakov, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, who loved me. Okay, Rashi has quite a bit to say about this uh, short verse. So Rashi says, I'm obliged to help you, uh, is the Lord saying to Israel. I'm obliged to help you. The end of this sentence, do not fear. Uh, this appears to me, Rashi, to be the sequence of the section according to its simple meaning. But the Midrash Agadah in Genesis Rabbah 44.7 expounds the entire section as alluding to Malchitzedek and Abraham. Interesting. So, island saw. When Isaiah says the island saw, he says they saw war and fear. So, Shem, who, I guess the sages believe, Shem, the son of Noah, was Malchitzedek. And he's also, um, Malchizedek, we can look at this uh, in a minute, but he is mentioned in the book of, I believe it is Hebrews. Hebrews, uh, let's see, Psalm 110.4 and Hebrews 7.17. So if we don't get to that, you can look it up. Psalm 110 and Hebrews 7.17. So the... Shem feared Abraham, lest he say to him, you begot these wicked men in the world. And Abraham feared Shem, since he slew his sons, the people of Elam, 
who was who were descended from Shem. So Abraham actually went to war against the sons of Shem, which was Noah's son, where Israel came from. Uh, so in a way, his own relatives. The islands, okay, just as the islands of the sea are distinguished and recognized in the sea, so were Abraham and Shem distinguished in the world. Uh, verse 6, or part 6, each one aided his fellow. This one, Shem, aided this one, Abraham, with blessings. Blessed be Abraham, Genesis 14, 19. And this one, Abraham, aided this one, Shem, with gifts. And he gave him tithe from everything. So if you go, if you're confused, I apologize. Go to Chabad.org and look up the Haftarah for Lech Lecha. Then at the top, you're going to see where it says hide Rashi's commentary or show Rashi's commentary. And I clicked, obviously, show Rashi's commentary. So Rashi is like the, the baseline um, Judaism commentary 101 for the lay person. Very simple, very straightforward commentary. Um, if it doesn't make sense, let it sink in. But uh, once you, if you're reading along with us, it may help. But that's why I'm trying to include the part. If you're looking at a Bible, it will really help so that you know what verse I'm, you can look at the verse that I'm reading the Rashi commentary for. All right, so back to verse 8. All right, so um, he's going almost word by word here. Uh, okay, so the craftsman strengthened. He says symbolically, this is Shem, who was a blacksmith to make nails and bars for the ark. The smith is Avraham, who purified the people, Soref, to bring them near to God. Because Abraham was an evangelist. Abraham was uh, a prophet and a master at converting people to the ways of monotheism for the God of Israel. The sledgehammer, this is also Abraham, who smote all the kings at one time. He says of the cement, the nation said it is good to cleave to this one's God rather than to Nimrod's idols. Nimrod was like basically the big giant king of the world. And according to legend, according to Jewish tradition, he actually threw Abraham into a furnace and Abraham survived after three days and came out unsinged. So, and you, Israel, my servant, Abraham was not, I take it back, I missed one. And he strengthened him, refers to Shem strengthening Abraham to cleave to the Holy One, blessed be he, Akadosh Baruch Hu, and not to move. And you, Israel, my servant, refers to Abraham, who was not descended from righteous men. I did all this for him. And you, Israel, my servant, who belonged to me by dint of two forefathers. I do not know what the word dint means, but let's look it up. An impression or hollow in the surface, a blow or stroke, especially one made with a weapon in fighting. Okay. All right, and the seed of Abraham who loved me, those who did not recognize me, meaning God, because of the admonition and the teaching of his fathers, but out of love. All right, verse 9. Whom I grasped from the ends of the earth and from its nobles I called you, and I said to you, you are my servant. I chose you, and I did not despise you. The phrase whom I grasped means I took you for my share. Compare Exodus 4.4, 4, and he stretched out his hand and grasped it. From the ends of the earth refers from the other nations, and from its nobles refers from, to the greatest of them. When God says, I called you, Rashi says, by name for my share, my firstborn son Israel. See verse 22. 
and I did not despise you, God says. So Rashi says, like Esau, as it is said in Malachi 1.3, and Esau I hated. But God did not despise Israel, his servant, or Abraham, his servant in this case, or the Messiah, his servant. Verse 10, and we are getting close to the end. Uh, do not fear, for I am with you. Be not discouraged, for I am your God. I encouraged you. I also helped you. I also supported you with my righteous hand. So Rashi says about the phrase, be not discouraged. This is the part I love about Rashi. He jumps all over the Bible. So he jumps from one scripture to another and ties in things that I don't know the Bible well enough to tie in all these things. So it's really amazing how well he knows the scriptures to tie in all these connections. So be not discouraged. The Hebrew is al-tishtah. Let your heart not melt like wax. Shavah. This is the rule. Every word whose first radical is sheen, when it is used in the reflexive present, past, or future, the tav separates it and enters between the first two radicals. Okay, if you don't know Hebrew, this is going to be really out there, and it's, it's probably not going to make any sense. But just try to try to keep keep up, and you can glean something from it. It's comparatively. In 49, 16, chapter 49, verse 16 of Isaiah, I believe. And he was astounded, Micah 6, 16, for the statues of Omri shall be observed. That's from 1 Samuel 1, 14. And you will be drunk. Job 30, verse 16, my soul is poured out. So he's basically showing where um, these, these words this word shows up and it's similar to these other scriptures. So not a lot there that I can bring out of that because I've, I'm really not sure uh, what else there is to say about that. Um, so I would have to study it and it's, uh, yeah, I wasn't prepared to speak on that. So just sharing it with you that Rashi gets that deep into knowing where other words are in Hebrew so that it connects you and it forms a story throughout the prophets. All right, verse 11. Behold, all those incensed against you shall be ashamed and confounded. Those who quarreled with you shall be as nothing and be lost. Verse 12. You may seek them, but not find them. Those who quarrel with you, those who war with you, shall be as nothing and as nothing. So that's interesting. He says it twice in two different ways. For I, the Lord your God, grasp your right hand, who says to you, fear not, I help you. That's not a question, by the way. The Lord's saying, I say to you, fear not, I will help you. I am helping you. Fear not, a worm of Yaakov, the number of Israel. I have helped you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, that's interesting. That's Hebrew parallelism, but I believe God the Father is talking there because in Hebrew it says, Ani azartich, I am your help. Naum Adonai, says the Lord, Ge'alech, or is it Go'alech, Kadosh Israel. And your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So I believe this is foreshadowing the Goel, Yeshua, the Messiah. Prophesy. And the word tola'at, which if you study Hebrew, you'll read this a lot when it comes to the color crimson. Because tola'at shani is the name of the color and the worm shani is I can't remember if tola'at or shani is the word for worm. But tola'at shani is talking about the color crimson because it comes from a worm that was dried and crushed and it got this crimson color. So the family of Jacob, which is weak like a worm, has, okay, worm is tola'at, which has no strength except in its mouth. 
Tola'at, and then he goes into a French commentary because Rashi was from France. The number of Israel, Matai Israel, that's the Hebrew for number of Israel. Verse 15, behold, I have made you a new grooved threshing sledge with sharp points. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them fine, and you shall make hills like chaff. So Rashi says the threshing sledge is a heavy wooden implement made with many grooves similar to the ironsmith's tool known as lime in French, which is a file, and they drag it over the straw of the ears of grains, and it cuts them until they become fine straw. New, when it is new, before the points of its grooves are smoothed off, it cuts very much, but when it becomes old, the points of the grooves are smoothed off. With sharp points, pipiote, these are the points of the grooves, and mountains refers to kings, and hills refers to princes. So I was going to say that, but I wanted to see what Rashi had to say, that uh, mountains refers to people who are really high and lifted up, exalted, maybe an ego, and hills would be people who are still lifted up, but not as high as mountains. So verse 16, last verse, you shall winnow them and a wind shall carry them off and a tempest shall scatter them and you shall rejoice with the Lord. With the Holy One of Israel shall you praise yourself. Um, you shall winnow them refers to scattering them as with a pitchfork to the wind, carry them off. This is interesting. He says by themselves to Gehinom. Gehinom is the valley of Hinom, which is uh, the valley one of the three valleys uh, by the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And that was where I believe they put all of the refuse and waste and trash. And uh, that was a symbolic of hell. All right. So thank you for bearing with me there. And I know that wasn't exactly what we usually do on this podcast, but hopefully you got an insight, you know, to Rashi. Uh, sometimes his comments are, really obvious other times they're very um you know they're more complicated and harder to understand but the more we wrestle with the stronger we get in our ability to uh dissect and look at scripture all right so to close this out got a couple of articles here talking about the haftarah so let's go back to the article that we started the powerful mouth all right so Haftarah Lech Lecha extols the virtues of the uh, people of Israel, the children of Avraham. Okay, the connection to Lech Lecha is the reference to Avraham, who with God's help journeyed away from idol worshippers, taught the world about God, and proved victorious over powerful kings, events that are recounted in this week's parasha. The parasha tells about the founding of the Jewish people and beginning, sorry, it should be Israel, and beginning of our mission in this world. It makes sense that the Haftarah encourages and extols the virtues that make Israel the chosen ones for Hashem's plan. It also makes sense that it tells us about the final redemption because that is the goal and reward of our mission. The Haftarah opens with the reassurance that although we may feel at times our efforts to follow the Torah are being ignored by God, this is never the case. Rather, his wisdom is beyond ours, even if we don't understand why he puts us in situations that seem undesirable. In the end, he is the one who gives the faint strength and that's from Isaiah 40, verse 29. Though the enemies of the people of Israel seem youthful and powerful, they will grow tired and weary and stumble. But those who hope in God will renew, literally exchange their strength for God's strength, grow wings like an eagle. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not tire. Uh, there's a great article on Chabad somewhere that talks about uh, 
I think the, the last Rebbe wrote it, that the word for uh, renew could actually be, uh, let me see here if I can go back and read it, because this is actually very interesting. Um, the word for renew can be read uh, in verse 29 as noten la yaef koach ul ein onim atma yalbe who gives the tired strength and to him who has no strength he increases strength so this translation actually talks about giving the tired strength and to him who has no strength he increases strength so and the word at the end like the first word is no ten and the last word is yarbe so no ten is to give in hebrew comes from the infinitive latet and yarbe comes from the root rav which is great like avraham uh Yerav, well, actually, no, I take it back. But Rav, which is the word we use in modern times for rabbi, uh, my high one or my great one, uh, referring to a teacher. But Rav means great or abundant. abundant. Uh, and Yalbe is to increase. So God literally takes our weak, limited strength and exchanges it when we press into him. All right. So why does the verse use the word exchange? Oh, here we go. It means that when we use all our strength, I just should have kept reading. Uh, we use all our strength and become weary, then our limited strength will be exchanged for God's strength, which is unlimited. We will then be able to take our service to a whole new level, deepening our connection with God ad infinitum. We then read how God will judge the nations. He will first reprove them and let them bring forth their arguments if they have any in defense. But God will tell them. Hakadosh. Baruch Hu will tell them that he sent them Abraham who taught them about God himself. They saw that God was with him and did amazing miracles for him. And Hashem gave him power over the mightiest kings. Yet they ignore the clear signs with cognitive dissonance and they support each other in perpetuating lies, continuing to make and serve idols. As it says, each one will help his friend and to his brother he will say, be strong. Isaiah 41.6, all this just to hold on to idol worship. The Midrash explains this verse in a positive light as it refers to Abraham and Shem, which we just read in Rashi's commentary, who support each other after the war between the four kings and the five kings, spoken about in the Parashah, which is the section from Genesis 12 through what I said earlier. I think it's about 16. There is a lesson here for us as well. We should always help each other. And even when we cannot help, we should offer words of encouragement. Uh, referring to Isaiah 41.8. In contrast to the nations of the world, you, Israel, my servant, quote, Yaakov, whom I have chosen, children of Abraham who love me. Sometimes it is the children who bring out the greatness of their parents, as their conduct is a reflection of them. And it is only because of the parents' virtues that the children are so wonderful. Same with the people of Israel. Because of our forefather Abraham, we have it in us to be amazing, and our actions show how great Abraham's love for Hashem was. The Haftarah continues that God will gather us from the ends of the earth, and that we should not fear because God is with us. Even more, don't be afraid, for I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand. From Isaiah 41.13. Then it says the strangest thing. Do not fear worm Yaakov. Why are we called Israel? Why is Israel called a worm? This worm we speak of here is weak. Its only strength is in its mouth, 
but it can destroy cedar trees. Same with us. Our power is not in our bodies. Our true strength is in our mouths. Through our Torah study and prayer, we can do amazing things. This is also a lesson on the power of speech. We are told that when one speaks Lashon Hara, now go back a few weeks, and I did a series of three or four episodes on Lashon Hara. Bad-mouthing another person, evil tongue, gossip, three people are negatively affected. The one who says it, the one who hears it, and the one being spoken about. I understand why the speaker and the hearer are affected because they are both there when the words were spoken. But the one about whom they are speaking is not even there. Why would it affect that person? Because our mouths are powerful. And when we speak badly of another, it brings out negativity in the subject person. The opposite is true as well. When you speak good of another, you bring out good qualities in that person, even if they were not there before. Just imagine how much good we can do by using the power of our speech to lift others up. Let us use our mouths for good things, praying, learning, praying, learning Torah, and bringing out good in others. If we do that, we will change the world for good, and we'll be able to experience the last words of the Haftarah, that when Messiah, Mashiach, comes, we will, quote, rejoice in the Lord Hashem and glory in the Holy One of Israel. May it happen soon and speedily in our days. So there was, I think we've covered enough for this, this episode, but there is one more article here. It's called the Haftarah Companion for Lech Lecha. And uh, it goes into other nuances. Some of this might be similar to things we've read. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. Uh, because, you know, we only get to do this parasha once per year. So maybe we'll pick up some extra symbolism and insights. So, Nachamu, uh, Nachamu, Ami, comfort, comfort my people. These are the famous opening words of Isaiah chapter 40. With these opening words, even though the Haftarah begins later in the chapter, with these opening words, the prophet delivers God's words of consolation to the Jewish people. In order to comfort, however, Isaiah must first address the most Important question of all, what can possibly justify suffering? What about all the mitzvot and good deeds that people have done? Is this what they receive in return for remaining faithful to God? My way has been hidden from God, says Israel. My cause has been passed over by my God, end quote. That's from the passage. The response comes forth in classic biblical style. God is the creator of all. There is no fathoming the depths of his plan. But there is something ultimately great that will be achieved with these afflictions, a goal that will make it all worthwhile. What remains certain, nonetheless, is that the time will come when the tables will turn. The people of Israel, who are tired and weary from exile, will gain renewed strength and might. Those who tormented them, while now seeming young and vigorous, will become weak and falter. Hashem, the Lord, as it were, contends with the mighty nations of the time. They are reminded that Abraham was but a single man whom God elevated and assisted throughout his life. All alone, he stood up to the world in his belief in one God. Although vastly outnumbered, he routed the mighty enemies of four kings and rescuing his nephew Lot. Lot. So there is precedent. Just as with their forefather, God will ultimately stand by the people of Israel, elevate them and assist them. This part of the reading is the obvious connection to the Torah portion, whose story is the life of Abraham. Now, following in the footsteps of their ancestor Abraham, 
Israel would always be different than the rest. While the nations of the world witnessed the miracle that was Avraham, they thoughtlessly and pragmatically continued to pursue the idolatrous lifestyle they were used to. God reassures his people not to fear, for he will never leave them. He has chosen them and will come through for them. The time will come when Israel will crush its enemies forever. Uh, let's see. The worm that is Yaakov. Fear not, a worm like your Yaakov. The prophet compares the, it is the nation of Israel to a worm. The simple idea behind the comparison to a worm is the feeble and vulnerable nature of the tribes of Israel in exile. The sages, however, see another angle to this. Why are the Jews compared to a worm? Just as the strength of a worm lies only in its mouth, so too with Israel, whose power lies only in prayer. New insight. By the same token, just as a worm, although small and weak, can destroy a cedar tree with its mouth, so too the people of Israel can make mighty but wicked nations fall with the power of tefillah, prayer. This comparison to the weakness, yet the strength of the worm, and its analogy to our state in exile is further expounded upon in Hasidic thought. During the time of exile, we are deprived from fulfilling most of the mitzvot and the Torah. These are mitzvot that depend on the temple standing, having a Jewish king, the Sanhedrin being in session, etc. But although we are unable to fulfill these mitzvot in the most literal sense, they can still be kept in the spiritual sense through the learning of Torah. Our sages tell us that he who studies the laws of an offering is as if he has actually offered the animal. This, then, is the comparison of the people of Israel to the worm. Just as the strength of the worm is in its mouth, so too the ability of the, of the Israel, Israeli in exile, or the Jew in exile, to spiritually fulfill most of the mitzvot is through speech, for the ideal way of learning Torah is by enunciating its words verbally. But this has an additional dimension which comes back to the simple meaning of the verse. Wow, I'm really glad that I went ahead and read this article for you. King David says in Psalms, I am a worm. I am but a worm and not a man. Anybody know what Psalm that's from? I am but a worm and not a man. Three, two, one. There's your biblical trivia for the day, Psalm 22. This was his expression of extreme humility. The reason why Torah study can achieve the spiritual fulfillment of a mitzvah is because when a Jew studies Torah, or a believer in Yeshua studies Torah, he is allowing himself to enter. I'm not, let me back up. I'm not equating believers in Yeshua with a Jew. Just because you're a believer in Yeshua doesn't mean you're Jewish. I'm just saying this applies to us all. But the article is written from a non-believer not from someone who does not believe in Yeshua as the Messiah. So they refer to the Jews as people to which this article is being written. So when someone studies Torah, he is allowing himself to enter into the godly realm manifested in this particular part of Torah. I'm going to read that again. The reason why Torah study can achieve the spiritual fulfillment of a mitzvah is because when someone studies Torah, he, is, he or she is allowing themselves to enter into the godly realm manifested in this particular part of Torah, on this level of reality, the physical hindrances that disable the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah are inconsequential. So in other words, if you're reading about the temple, right, 
and there's no temple, that's the physical hindrance, it doesn't matter. It says that regardless of the physical conditions, the spiritual element of the mitzvah is true and exists. So it's like you're picking up a stone and putting it in place where it should be on the temple mount. Or maybe you're putting a menorah in its place inside the holy place. Well, if you're allowed there. Or maybe you're bringing water for you know the temple offerings, let's say. Whatever the case may be. However, one must allow themselves to be elevated to and included in this godly reality. Maintaining a sense of self, let alone ego, will keep one back in an earthly and material state, not allowing or disallowing one to rise at all above it. Thus, both ideas and the analogy to the worm go hand in hand. The power lies in the mouth, but the worm-like humility is imperative to achieve the goal. Threshing and winnowing. So, behold, I have made you into a new grooved threshing sledge with sharp points. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them fine. And you shall make hills like chaff. Sorry, I lost my place. Okay. You shall winnow them and a wind shall carry them off and a tempest shall scatter them. Now, the mountains and hills that are being threshed refer to the nations of the world who oppress Israel. In time to come, they will be crushed, scattered, and caused to be lost by the very people unto whom they sought to do just the same. A parable in the Midrash complements this idea. The wheat, chaff, and straw were once arguing with each other. Each one was saying, it is for our purpose that this field was sown. The wheat said, we'll wait until the time of threshing arrives, and we will yet see for whose purpose the field has been sown. After being threshed on the threshing floor, the farmer proceeded to winnow the grain. He took everything aside from the kernels and either burned it or discarded it, saving nothing besides the kernels. So it is with the nations of the world. Some say, we are the main thing, and it is for us that the world was created. While others contend and say, it is for us the world was created. The people of Israel respond to them in, in this way. Wait till the day comes, and we will see for whom the world was created. Referring to uh, Isaiah 41.15, and that commentary is from Abarbanel. So, last paragraph, and we'll wrap this up. The exile is a time when confusion prevails in each generation. The world outside hollered and screamed, this is it. We are what this world is all about. But a little Jewish people, the people of Israel, scattered among many and mighty nations, said, no, the purpose of creation is something different. The time will come when a systematic threshing will take place. By virtue of who they are, Israel will bring out the straw-like weakness of worldly pursuits and the infinite value of a godly life. So we never like to end our broadcast without inviting you to make Yeshua the Savior and Redeemer of your life. So as it says in Romans 10, 8 through 10, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth, Yeshua is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Thank you for tuning in, folks. God bless you. May you be blessed and encouraged, and tune in soon for another new episode uh, of next week's Haftarah which I believe is Vayara, God willing. Talk to you soon. May you be blessed and encouraged.